So turn in your Bibles to James chapter 2, where we left off last week. And we're going to look at the topic today in James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. The topic is, a faith without works is dead. There's actually two bit bookends to this scripture we're looking at today. And in, in, in the first part of the, uh, uh, of the scripture, it makes this statement in, in verse uh, 17. Even so, faith, if it has no, no works, is dead, being by itself. And then the last verse of our section, verse 26, reiterates that. It says, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works, again, bookend, is dead. Now, what, what, what the point that, that James is going to be making as we go through this is a living, acting faith will be a faith that works. And a, a workless faith is a worthless faith. That's what he's going to make the point as we go through this scripture this morning. Now, this is a controversial scripture because some people say this contradicts Paul's teaching. What did Paul teach us about works? Go back to Ephesians 2, 8, through 10, 8 and 9. He said, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourself it's not a result of works that no one should boast. Then Paul said also in Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul said in Romans 3.28, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So is there a contradiction here? Paul's saying it's just faith, that by, by God's grace through our saving faith in Jesus Christ, we're saved, then that's it. James is saying over and over again throughout his book, that a faith without works is dead. And actually, three times in our section of Scripture today, James is actually going to say, we're justified by works. Look at verse 21. It says this, Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Verse 24, You see that a man is justified by works. Verse 25, and this, uh, it says at the end, or towards the middle, it says, In the same way was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works? Is there a contradiction in Scripture? No. Whenever you see a supposed contradiction in Scripture, you know what that means? You just need to study it a little bit more. Because all Scripture is inspired by God. It's infallible. It's inerrant. There's no contradiction in Scripture. What it is, is context. You always got to study the Scripture within context. The context of Paul, especially through the book of Romans, talking about justification by faith alone and not by works, is the context of talking about the gospel. And it's talking about our salvation. In regards to salvation, we're only saved by trusting Christ alone to be our Savior and our Lord and trusting his finished work on the cross and believing that and trusting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord by faith. You're saved alone by that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but has, has everlasting life. Our salvation is only based by faith alone. So what's James talking about? James talking about not our salvation, he's talking about our sanctification. He's talking about the fact that once we are saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ, then the Holy Spirit comes into our life, and the Holy Spirit starts working in our lives to produce good works. And again, Paul said that. Paul said after being by, by grace, through faith we've been saved, and not by works, that lest no one should boast, the very next verse, verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2, right after being, saying we're, we're saved by grace through faith alone, he says this, after that, sanctification begins, verse 10 of, of Ephesians 2 says, for we are his workmanship created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul also said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, so then, my beloved, 
Just as you've always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Notice what he says here. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see the words work there? Work is not the the root of our salvation. God's grace through faith in Christ. That's the root of our salvation. Here's what work is. Works in in Christ-likeness and the works... They're a root. They're not a root. They're a fruit of our salvation. So faith alone, that's the root of our salvation. Works, that's the fruit of our salvation. And what did Jesus say? He said, you will know my disciples by their fruit, by the evidence of a changed life. Because if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature, a new creation. The old things have gone, and behold, all things are new. And this new life is evidenced by works. Because the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, and then God starts working in us for his will and his good pleasure. And so what James is talking about context is not salvation. He's talking about sanctification. What should be the result of a living, active, saving faith? That's good works. And that's why Jesus said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. And then other people will also glorify our Father in heaven. So you see the context. I think Chuck Colson is the one that said this. He said, if you were going to be, if you were going to be arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence in your life to convict you? Good question. Good question. Works are not the root of our salvation. They are the fruit of our salvation. And now we're going to see in James is there's five different kinds of works in this section of scripture. James is going to point out that are an evidence of our salvation, five different types of works. And let's look at that right now. Go to, uh, back to, back to our, our James chapter 2, and we'll start with verse 14. If you're there, say amen through your horn. If you're there. Okay, there you go. <laughs> All right, so it says this, James 2, 14. What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith but has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing, in need of daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed, be filled, yet you don't give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, here it is again, if it has no works, is dead. Faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. First thing that James is saying, the first kind of works that should be an evidence of our salvation is if you see a brother or sister, someone who's especially a part of the body of Christ, who has no clothes or has no food, and then you just say to them, hey, God bless you, be warm, be filled, and you don't help them at all? What kind of faith is that? So the first kind of works that should be evidenced in our lives as Christians is a willingness to help people that have needs. And the New Testament church did a great job of that. In the book of Acts, if you see, Acts chapter 2, after Pentecost, after 3,000 people got saved in one day, And they were from all different regions of the Roman Empire. And many of those people that got saved on the day of Pentecost, we know from church history, decided to stay in Jerusalem so they could be discipled by the apostles. And the church grew in one day to 3,120 people. They baptized 3,000 people in one day. And many of those hundreds of people stayed, and they had no jobs. And they had no extended family. They had no businesses because they stayed in Jerusalem. And the New Testament church saw a lot of these people were impoverished because they decided to stay and be discipled in God's word there. So you know what the New Testament church did? Acts chapter 2 tells us. 
Many of the wealthier people that live in Jerusalem sold their land and laid the proceeds at the apostles' feet. And the apostles took care of those brothers and sisters that didn't have the food and didn't have the surplus and didn't have the, have the ability to even pay for clothing. And the New Testament Church took, took care of them. It says so much so that there was nobody with any needs because everybody took care of one another within the church. Wonderful. And then it also says in Acts chapter 6, New Testament church saw all these widows. Now, you need to understand widows in the New Testament time, Roman Empire time, many of them were destitute. Many of them were homeless. They didn't have welfare. They didn't have um, unemployment. They didn't have the means. And many, many widows in the New Testament time in the Roman Empire were destitute and homeless. New Testament church saw this. Acts chapter 6 says they even raised up leaders to personally take care and bring food to the tables of the widows and to bless them and to meet their needs. That should be a mark of true Christianity. So we're going to take care of each other. We're going to love each other so much that when we see needs, we're going to help people. And that's true, and that's living faith. One of my heroes, in, in, in early on, especially in my, uh, new, in my Christian walk, one of the, and still to this day, is my favorite Christian artist of all time. His name is Keith Green. And I was watching this week a documentary on YouTube by uh, uh, Melody Green, who was, Keith Green's, or was married to Keith Green in their 20s. And it's interesting, I didn't know this as she was recollecting this, I didn't know this, but Keith Green and his wife Melody were both Jewish, and they came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Now, you need to understand, Keith Green didn't get saved until he was about 21, 22, and then for the next six to eight years, he was on fire for Christ, and then the Lord took him home, he got in a plane crash with two of his preschool kids, and Melody was on the ground with, pregnant with a one-year-old, and God took her husband and two preschool kids, and she just kept serving Jesus. But the interesting thing in this documentary was she said that her and Keith, after they got saved, they lived in Los Angeles, and they were musicians. And so they started writing for CBS for commercial jingles. They wrote the, they wrote the lyrics, and they wrote the, the background music for jingles for commercials. And they made a lot of money doing that to the point that they were able to buy some homes in their neighborhood in Los Angeles because they started a ministry to all these homeless kids that were in the streets of Los Angeles at the time that were homeless, drug addictions, and just didn't have anything. So Keith and Melody said, hey, a part of just coming to our saving faith in Christ is we saw these kids on our streets. They didn't have anything, so we took them in and we led them to Christ. And she said they started feeding them. They started doing Bible studies for them. They started discipling them. Next thing you know, they have 70 kids in these homes with, that they're doing Bible studies for. And take, they, they bought like three or four different houses just to house all these kids. And Melody Green said, that was just a part of our Christianity. We wanted to help people that needed to be helped. And then she said also, it was interesting, she said that, that then they all moved to Texas and they started Last Days Ministry, and they took all these kids with because they, they were still basically homeless and needed help. And it reminded me of when I was in Los Angeles as a pastor, I had the privilege of going to this pastor's conference that was uh, uh, in Los Angeles, and I met Keith Green's pastor. This is after Keith Green died. And I said, what was it like having Keith Green in your church and having him as your, one of your worship leaders? And I thought he'd say, this is always awesome. He did say it was great, but he said it was also very interesting because Keith Green had this prophetic uh, voice. And he said oftentimes he challenged us as Christians in the church that I pastored to live out what we what we said we believed. And he said, I remember one time he said that Keith, with housing all these homeless runaway kids, they ran out of room in their houses, so he put a clipboard in the back of the sanctuary, and he challenged families in his church to open up their homes and help some of these homeless kids. 
No one signed up week after week after week. And then Keith waited till the pastor actually said he had to go out of town and speak at a conference. And he said that that Sunday I was out of town. Keith began the first worship song and stopped the music. And he said, hey, I've been trying to get you, you folks here in this church to help these kids for the last several weeks. No one has signed up at all on the clipboards. He said, some of you are saying you don't feel led to help these kids. He's, <laughs> supposedly what Keith said is, said, the only lead you got is lead in your pants. Get back here and sign up and help these kids. And the pastor said for weeks after that, he was putting out fires, answering phone calls. But he also said the number of those families got convicted and started opening their homes to help these kids. And that's a part of our Christianity, a living act of faith. is a faith, a faith that's alive is a faith that has works of kindness for those that need help. And that's what James is talking about. First kind, of, first kind of works of a living faith is works of kindness. Now let's go on. It says in verse 18, But someone may well say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Now look at verse 19. You believe that God is one, you do well. <clears throat> the demons also believe, and they shudder. Another version says, and they tremble. Here's what James is saying. Demons... They have the right theology. They have proper theology. They believe God is one. They believe in monotheism, that there's only one God, the God of Israel. But also demons have the right theology about about Christ. Did you know that? We know from the Gospels, when Jesus was driving out demons and demon-possessed people, demons would often speak to Jesus. One time in Luke 8.28, the demons said to Jesus, Jesus, what business do we have with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, this demon said, do not torment me. Interesting. Demons know who Jesus is. They know he's the Son of God. Not only do they know who he is, they know that he is Lord to the point that they're under his authority. They have the right theology, but it's only in their head. They're not submitted in their heart and surrendered to Jesus Christ as Lord. That's the second kind of works that should be in our lives if we have a true living faith. And that's a surrendered, submitted heart to Jesus Christ as Lord. It's not about knowing stuff. It's about having a heart that says, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. You are on the throne of my heart. Jesus, I'm submitted to you and to your will for my life. That's a real living faith. That's an act of faith, and it'll change your life, and it'll change my life as we get this right. Oftentimes, people miss salvation by 12 inches from their head to their heart. It's not about how much you know. It's about having a heart that says, Jesus, you have my life. I'm submitted to you. I'm surrendered to you as Lord. You know, we see this on steroids, this principle. We see it on steroids in our U-Turn for Christ ministry. Because our U-Turn for Christ ministry, man, it's about drastic life change. These guys come here from the streets with drugs and alcohol and all kinds of craziness in their life. And here's what we see over and over again. It's not about how much the guys get to know in their head. It's about a heart. And when they get their hearts surrendered to Christ as Savior and Lord and surrender and say, I'm done. I'm surrendered to you, Jesus. I just lay it down on your feet at the cross, and I will live for you. With their heart, they say that. Their lives change, and they become success stories for the kingdom of God and for you turn for Christ. But we see other guys come in sometimes. We see guys come in, and they, they might even have a lot of head knowledge. They might have been to other rehabs or other backgrounds and stuff or Bible studies or churches, and they have all this knowledge in their head, but their hearts aren't submitted. They're not surrendered, and they don't change. 
because their heart isn't surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that's not just true for you, Turn. That's true for every single human being. You want to have a faith that's alive, that's active, that's real, that's changing your life. You've got to have a surrendered heart, a heart that's submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that's the second work that's an evidence of salvation, is hearts that are surrendered to Jesus as Lord. And so it goes on now, verse 18. Excuse me, verse 20. But are you willing to recognize, James is just shooting straight, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with Abraham's works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. The word perfected could be also translated completed or made mature. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, and Abraham believed God. And it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And notice, Abraham was called the friend of God. Now that's two different references back to two different situations. The first situation is Genesis chapter 22. When Abraham was over 100 years old, and he had this son born, after 25 years of waiting, God gave him a son. His name was Isaac. And he waited for 25 years for God to fulfill that promise. Isaac was born. And I believe at that point, Isaac started growing into being a young man and probably took over Abraham's heart. Isaac became the apple of his eye to the point that God wanted to test his faith. And so God said, hey, go up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice your son. And Abraham did it. Amazing. He trusted God to the point that he brought his own son, who was probably a young man, maybe even in his 20s at that time, up to Mount Moriah, strapped him down, and he was going to sacrifice his own son. But then the angel came, and the angel stopped him and said, hey, go over to that thicket where the ram is. That'll be the sacrifice. But the point of the story was Abraham had such a strong faith. Hebrews 11 says that he believed that God could raise Isaac from the dead if necessary because God had promised him that through Isaac all the nations of the earth were going to be blessed. And so in his faith, he was willing to make that sacrifice, even though it didn't make sense. Here's the third work that needs to be in our lives if we're going to have evidence of a living, active faith. And that's the works of sacrifice, where you're willing to sacrifice in areas that don't even make sense sometimes. Some of you have been there. Some of you have, have people, maybe even your, in your relationships, that question your Christianity because, hey, man, you go to church every Sunday at Calvary Chapel, and you could be sleeping in and making pancakes and just staying home, but you're, you're going to church. You're even going to drive up church. What's up with that? It's a sacrifice, isn't it? But that's a part of what we do because the Bible says, don't forsake our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but, but encourage one another all, all the more as the day draws near. So we're willing to make the sacrifice of coming to church every Sunday, and it's a sacrifice, but that's an evidence of a real faith. Some of you get some flack, maybe some family members, because you help, and you serve, and you have, you have service as a part of your sacrifice. You get involved with kids' ministry or nursery or youth ministry or U-turn ministry or greeters or ushers, whatever you do. You serve, and that's a sacrifice. And some, So you might have people in your immediate uh, sphere of, of relationships say, why do you do that? Why do you spend your free time serving in that way? Because that's a sacrifice. This opportunity for you to serve the one that served you on the cross. Some of you, uh, you might get some flack from some people because you give. You practice what Malachi 3.10 says, bring your whole tithe to the storehouse and see if God won't open the windows of heaven and bless you for that giving. He will. But it's a sacrifice. And people say, why do you give your hard-earned money to, uh, to a church? 
Because God says, give, and it'll be given on to you, and you'll be blessed. But it's a sacrifice, and it doesn't always make sense. But a faith that works is willing to make sacrifices, even if it doesn't make worldly wisdom sense. Sacrifice, that's a part of the works of a true and a living faith. Now, the second thing we see about Abraham, interesting, is he not only had works of sacrifice, he had works of devotion. And this is another scenario that he's going back to, rewind to Genesis 15. And, and Abraham is, is, is he's out there in the desert, and God brings him up to, up to, the star, to look up at the stars in the sky, and God says to him, hey, see the multitude of stars in the sky. Abraham, so your descendants will be. And the scripture says at that point, Abraham believed God, and it was credited towards him as righteousness. And then it says, Abraham went on to be called the friend of God. Here's the next work that should be in a real faith. Works of devotion. Works of, of spending time with God to the point that you're building a friendship with God. You know, the one thing I want Heidi to put on my tombstone is not only my name, not only 1961 dash to the year I die, one of the things I'd like to be known for is John Hoppy. He was a friend of God. One of the things I'd like to be known for is that, that I love just being in friendship with God. I love just spending time with God, because I do. I love spending time in his word. I love spending time studying. I love spending time letting God's voice speak to me through just having quiet times with the Lord where he speaks to me through his word. I love praying and abiding in him so he can abide in me and I can have some fruit in my life. I love God. I love God because he first loved me. And Jesus said that we're not just his servants, we're his friends. Did you know that? Oh, there's a good beep right there. Amen. Listen to what Jesus said about that. He said this, John 15, 15, and through the inspiration of Scripture, he's saying it to us as well as his first century disciples. John 15, 15, he said, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave doesn't know what his master is doing. But disciples, I've called you my friends. For all things that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. Amazing. John 15, 13, Jesus also said, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Isn't that amazing? God loves you. He loves me so much that he sent his son to die on a cross for us so we wouldn't just be called his servants, we'd be called his friends. And a living, acting faith is going to provoke us to grow in that friendship with God through Jesus Christ. A living and active faith is going to be a faith that says, I want to spend time with the one I love, and that's God and Jesus Christ. A living and active faith is going to say, I want to have a daily quiet time where I start my day or I end my day reading Scripture and praying and let God speak into my life, and then I could grow in this friendship and relationship. Because how do you grow in a friendship? How do you, how do you grow in a relationship? By spending time with that person. It's the same thing with Jesus. He wants us just to spend time with him. I think of Mary and Martha when they had Jesus in, in their home, and, and, and Martha was so busy serving, 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 serving. She finally looked over to her sister Mary, and she said, Jesus, tell her to help me. And you remember what Jesus said? Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered by so many things. But Mary, she's chosen the better part. And what was the better part? Spending time with Jesus, building her friendship with Jesus. Here's the beautiful thing, too. As we grow in this friendship with Jesus... That's when the fruit will come. As we spend time with him, then he'll give us the power of the Holy Spirit to live for him and to serve him with power. 
But we need to have works of devotion where we discipline ourselves on a daily basis to spend time in his word and to pray and to be in church too because that's when we grow in our friendship with God too is we're in church, corporate worship, and we're hearing the word taught and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. We're going to grow in that friendship too. And so works of devotion, very important part of a living and active faith. Now let's close up our scripture this morning. It says in verse 24, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab, the harlot, also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works. Here it is again. Faith without works is dead. Interesting. We're going from looking at the father of the Jewish faith, the father of the multitude, Abraham, to a prostitute. You know, there's all different kinds of people that come to Christ, and Jesus loves them all equally as we studied last week. He loved this prostitute to the point that God revealed himself to Rahab to the point that when Israel started (coughs) coming into their geographic area, she believed, I believed, in the God of Israel to the point she was willing to take the risk of housing these spies from Israel because she saw that these spies believed in the true and the living God, and she wanted to be on God's side and not against God. And then she housed the spies, and that she hid them on the, under the flax of her roof, and she, as she had soldiers come from Jericho to try to kill these spies, she hid them and let them escape because of her faith. Here's the last kind of evidence of a true and a living faith. It's works of risk. Did you know that? If we have a real, living, active faith, we're willing to take some risks for God. We're willing to get out of our comfort zone and do some things that don't come naturally for us because God's instructing us to do that. Hey, one of the risks that God wants us to take is to be a witness. We're told, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. We're told as we follow Christ, he'll make us fishers of men. But it's not easy. Because it gets us out of our comfort zone. And also sometimes when we're a witness for Christ, we face ridicule, we face insults, we face being ostracized by those that we work with. But that's a risk we need to take. Because we're told that we're to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. I remember when I had summer jobs, my dad always got me these summer jobs in college and graduate school that were construction jobs. And one summer I did road construction with a sledgehammer, and I, I did shoveling asphalt all summer. Another summer I did painting houses, out exterior of houses. Another summer I painted actually rustoleum on billboard structures in Chicago. Another summer I remember I did uh, the tarring of commercial roofs. That was a, that was a doozy. I, I'm convinced my dad got me these summer jobs so I'd go back to college and get an education. But anyways, I remember every summer job with these construction, different crews and stuff, I had to make a decision. Was I going to tell them at the beginning of the summer whether I was a Christian or not? And I realized I needed the first week of those summer jobs, I needed to get it out that I'm a follower of Christ. Because otherwise I'd be a cognito Christian for the rest of the summer. And I remember as I took a stance like that, that I was a follower of Christ, I got all kinds of ridicule from these guys. If you know anything about construction guys, a lot of them, some of them are Christians, but a lot of them are pretty rough. And I remember these guys, as soon as I got out of the bag, I was a Christian, they started calling me reverend. They started calling me all, you know, yeah, stay away from that holy roller. And I, I remember I'd get flack for the whole rest of the summer, but I also remember, as I took a stance for Christ, and was a witness for Christ, I remember when they had hard times, when they had wives that wanted to leave them, or they had kids that were sick, or whatever else, they'd come to me and say, hey, we know that you have a relationship with God, can you pray for, 
pray for me and for, pray for my family. And uh, amen, amen. And that's an important part of our witness is to get it out there and say whether we get ridicule, whether we get persecution, whether people give us a hard time or not, we need to take a stance and realize that all who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But let's get out of our comfort zones and say, hey, we're followers of Jesus. And we're on fire for Christ. And if you want to, you know, as you're on fire for Christ, you'll get some heat for it. But praise the Lord. You're letting your light shine into the darkness around you. Another area I think that we could, we could be more risky in, service. We've already talked about it. But you know that every single one of you here, if you're a Christian, you've got a spiritual gift, and God wants you to use that gift. It says in Romans 12, 6, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to notice, exercise them accordingly. We're to use the gifts that God's given us for his kingdom, for his church, for his glory. And you say, well, I don't know what my gift is. I can't serve because I don't know what my gift is. Hey, here's the deal. God can't steer a parked car. Get involved in something. Find something you could use some of your gifts in serving in, and God will let you know what you're supposed to do. Just start serving. Start moving. Start doing something for the kingdom. Get involved in something, and God will use you. It might challenge your comfort zone, but a living, active, real faith is going to be a faith that's willing to take some risks and get out there and do something for God. So what do we learn about faith this morning? What's a living, active faith? There's five works that characterize a living, active faith. First of all, there's works of what? Kindness, where you're helping people that need help, where we're getting the lead out of our pants, and as we see people that need help, we're going to help them. Second kind of works that God's called us to do, works of surrender and submission to the Lordship of Jesus, where you have a heart that says, it's not going to just about what I know. It's my heart. I want to be surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. I want to do not my will, but God's will be done. Number three, works of sacrifice. Where you're willing to take some sacrifices for the kingdom. Where you're willing to be like Abraham says, this doesn't even make sense, but God's leading me to do it, and I'm going to obey God and sacrifice in these areas. Number four, works of devotion. Works where you spend time in spiritual disciplines, spending time. I think every Christian should have a daily quiet time where you're growing in that friendship with God. Works of devotion, spiritual disciplines, so you could grow in that friendship with God. And lastly, works of risk. Let's take some risks for the kingdom, amen? Let's get out in the deep water. That's where the big fish are at. Let's be people that are willing to get on the limb a little bit for Jesus and do what he's called us to do, amen? Amen, 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 amen.